This is the Jocko Underground Podcast number 38. Echo Charles sitting here with me. Echo Charles. Yes, sir. I'm going to use your your situation, let's say, to sort of frame up a conversation possibly. Maybe we get right through it. Maybe we don't. Maybe just a topic. But thinking of reputation, you know, the reputation in the SEAL team is very important. I I have fun with your reputation, mm-hmm. you know, meaning I kind of have presented a reputation for you against your will in some cases mm-hmm. of this level of cruising and relaxing mm-hmm. and maybe not super overly concerned about work or anything like that. First of all, mm-hmm. has that ever bothered you? No. Okay. Second of all, if it did bother you, how would you handle it? Mm. And I'm going to answer that right now. If it bothered you, the way to handle it would be the way you're handling it right now. Okay. So even if it bothered you right now secretly, mm-hmm. and you were like, no, it doesn't bother me, that's the way to handle it. Yeah. So this is my advice. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> Keep it up. Yeah. If If something, mm. if someone's you know, harassing you about something or you're they're, they're doing something, saying something, and you don't like it, the worst thing you could do is let everyone know that you don't like it. This yeah. is like lesson day one of the SEAL right. teams. Yes, if you show that something bothers you, you're gonna that's gonna stick. If you don't mm-hmm. let it show that, then people will move on because it gets boring. Yeah. If I started, if I was making fun of you all the time, actually, the only reason I keep teasing you about this stuff is because it's funny. You laugh, I laugh, we have, we, you know, we're fun, it's funny. Yeah. If you weren't laughing and I was just, oh, then I probably right. would have moved on to something else to try and harass you out and front, try and find them some little, some little chink in the armor yeah. to get through. Yeah. So reputations. Um, if someone is in a situation where their reputation isn't what they want it to be, how do you course correct that? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say first of all, you gotta kind of own it. Meaning, hey, the reason I have this reputation is something that I'm doing is earning me this reputation. Yeah. A lot of times people think, that, you know, everyone just says that about me. They're against me, they're trying to make me look bad, and what is this? This is the opposite of extreme ownership, we're blaming other people. Yeah. Which means you're not gonna make any adjustments to whatever it is you're doing that's earning you this reputation in the first place. Mm-hmm. So your reputation didn't appear out of thin air. Your reputation actually came from something that you did. Unintentional, intentional, knowing, unknowing, but you did something that that made people focus on this aspect of you. Mm. And that little aspect is now turned into a reputation. If you deny it, that's, just, that's not me. No, that's not the right move. We have to actually take ownership of the reputation that we got and if there's adjustments that need need to be made to it, we need to adjust our behavior in order to adjust our reputation. Reputation is strategic, meaning it's a long-term item. It's you do th- you can do things tactically that can help your reputation, that can hurt your reputation, but over time you have to maintain the long term the long game on reputation you can't you can't be 
a slacker, a slacker, a slacker, work hard one day and think your reputation is going to be good. You can't be um, angry, temper, emotional, and then one day try and act calm and you think your reputation is good. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. It's reputation is a strategic thing that you need to think about and you need to act strategic when it comes to how you carry yourself and how it's gonna impact your reputation. Mm -hmm. That's the way it works. So if you notice or you you start to feel like your reputation is not where you want it to be, assess, own it, assess what corrections you need to make. By the way, I don't recommend radical changes where you know, I've been lazy, I've been lazy, I've been lazy, and one day I just come in and start working ultra hard. Because people don't, I'm not saying you can't do that, but it's going, everyone's gonna kind of feel that. Everyone's gonna kind of be like, oh, it doesn't seem like a lasting thing. It's not. A, it's a tactical move, but not a strategic move. Mm. It's a tactical move, it's not a strategic move. If you say, oh, hey, let me pick up that other shift, mm-hmm. continually. You know, let me take this. Let me take that extra shift for the long haul. Oh, you got that little project? I can take that thing. You want to go in and say, "Oh, I got the new shift. I got this. I got that." No, it's too much. People don't buy. Don't, people don't believe it. Mm-hmm. It's like a fad diet. Yeah, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I'm only. I'm. A, I'm going on the carnivore diet. Right. I'm a carnivore now. I'm a carnivore now. It's like, dude, you, you just got done with a freaking, you know, ice cream cake. <laughs> no one believes you. No one believes you. A whole ice cream cake. Yeah, a whole ice cream cake. Did you have ice cream cakes growing up? Oh, uh, what's ice Is that like an Oreo cookie ice cream cake? Is that, Bro, I does that know. count? I, I don't know, but when I was a kid, it was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Like you could go Bro. to a, I think we got them from Carvel. Have you ever heard of Carvel? No. It was an ice cream kind of store. And you could get an <laughs> ice cream cake, which is basically a, which is basically a, the thing in the shape of an ice cream. Yeah. Um, the thing in the shape of a cake, cake. but it's ice cream. Yeah. And there's some kind of crust scenario happening. You know so. what? Yes. So here, here's the thing. This is gonna side note, but it's important, I think, for us. So two things. First off, when I had COVID, I ate an ice cream cake, a Reese's. I think it was like mm. a peanut butter ice cream. Yeah, that's oh. what I thought. But you couldn't taste or smell. I couldn't. This is before I knew I had COVID. By the way, it was for Thanksgiving. So I'm eating it. I'm like, this is very under freaking like whelming, mm. underwhelming cake. This d- under delivered. This is not a good ice cream cake from what it looks like, right? Because mm. it didn't taste good. It tastes sweet, but that was it. I couldn't taste the peanut butter, you know, what I've come <laughs> to expect. <laughs> and So whatever. So that's how I remember, okay, ice cream cake. That's an ice cream cake. Mm. But when I think about it, there's, yeah, there's, there's okay, so there's a place on Kauai called Keoki's Paradise, I recommend. Anyone who goes to Kauai, straight up, go to Keoki's Southside, by the way. Ice cream shop? What? No. Dinner Dessert place, shop. dinner place. Oh, dinner yeah, place. Yeah, nice okay. dinner place. Okay. Like they got live music and mm. stuff sometimes, like the Hawaiian music stuff. Really good, really good mm. spot. This is what my wife does. Actually, I shouldn't tell I shouldn't tell this secret, but this is what she does. When we plan a trip, let's say it's like a few months in advance, she'll call Kiyoki's and make a reservation for every night, us being there. That way you're guaranteed to have a reservation. Mm-hmm. And then if we, if we plan not to go, she'll call and cancel it on the day of or day before. How hard is it to get a reservation? There? Well, right now it's very hard. Mm, okay. So, you, yeah, you, you kind of can't if you're like, you're on quiet, hey, let's go tomorrow mm-hmm. or whatever. You can't really get one anymore. Okay. Either way, side note. So, th- one of their desserts that you can get is called a hula pie. <laughs> and it's an ice cream cake. Okay. And it's like this high. Yeah. 
Meaning it's, it's like a, a meaning it's one foot tall. Uh, it, For those it's, are the people that are just listening. It's very high, yes. And then you can tell it's part of a big, huge cake that you get one slice, but it's for the whole table. It's not a one person yeah, gig. Depending on who you are. Yes, sir. Right. You're correct. You're right. But it uh that is a good, good ice cream cake. It's called the hula pie though. Okay. So if we're you're eating, the one who brought up the ice cream no, cake. No, 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 no. That's a good point. Yes, like sir. you said, I think, like you said, you thought this was Very important. important. <laughs> Apparently it is. So one minute I'm eating a hula pie. Like mm-hmm. legit. Think about this. You and me, we're in Hawaii every day. We're going to. Keokis. Ke- every day we're going to Keokis. I'm getting a, a hula pie on the daily. Yes, sir. And then one day I wake up and I go, hey, I'm a carnivore. <laughs> What is your level of belief in my scenario? Okay, I believe it when I see it. Kind of, it's not high. Yeah, very low. Very low. In fact, it's kind of, it's almost disrespectful for me to even say that to you. It's almost like I'm just a liar. Yes, right. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's almost like this is just not believable. Yeah. So we have to think about that same thing. So it ends up being important. The hula pie ends up being important because if we're eating hula pies, and then all of a sudden we're saying we're carnivore, it doesn't work. Yeah. If we are lazy and all of a sudden we're trying to act like we're the hard worker, it's not gonna work either. It's not gonna work overnight. Mm-hmm. Now, look, if I tell you I'm a carnivore and then you know we go out for dinner that night and you're like, hey, you're gonna get the hula pie? And I go, no, man, I'm gonna get chicken wings. Yeah, because I'm, carnivore. I'm a carnivore now. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay. You might have a little bit more belief, right. but it's not gonna change overnight. Yeah. So it's the same thing with your reputation. Your reputation is not gonna change overnight. It's gonna take time, it's gonna take effort, it's gonna take strategic thinking. You're gonna have to, you're gonna also have to think about what you do tactically. This is, you you, you heard me talk about how a tactical mistake can have a strategic impact, Mm -hmm. right? So Abu Ghraib prison, these guys and girls, these men and women, I guess they're not kids, but these men and women that put these, put these, insurgents and terrorists and suspected terrorists into these body positions and took pictures and all the stuff that they did with them. All that stuff that they did with them in Abu Ghraib. Look, that's a tactical situation. They're in a prison. It's not a, it's not a strategic move to do that. They weren't, they weren't trying to say win the war with these by stacking these guys and stripping them naked and putting a dog leash. That wasn't good. They, that wasn't a strategic move, mm-hmm. but it had a strategic impact, a negative strategic impact. So it's the same thing with our reputation. If you make dumb tactical moves that might not seem like a big deal to you, you might kind of shrug your shoulders and say, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, it doesn't matter if I just cut this corner right now. But if that little corner that you cut, some people, you know what's a big one? Like dishonesty, mm-hmm. right? If you're dishonest about something that you don't really think is a big deal, yeah. you know, you're supposed to, do some, one of, my, one of my daughters had the opportunity to lie to me. My youngest daughter had the opportunity to lie to me the other day. Uh, what did I say to her? Anyways, I looked at her and said, I'm, she just said, no, I didn't do that or whatever. Like she was supposed to do something and I asked her if she did it and she's, she just looked at me and just said, no, I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And she knew that that was, I wasn't gonna be happy that she didn't do what she did, mm-hmm. but she didn't lie to me. Mm-hmm. And I go, and I looked at her smile, I'm glad you didn't lie about that. Because I can smell a lie, by the way. Do you, do you but guys you, make a big deal out of uh, of lying? Lying is the family? biggest deal. Yeah, that's there what is. Dad was too. I don't think there's a bigger deal than lying. Actually, I don't think there's a bigger deal than lying. Mm. If you lie, we got a real problem. Mm-hmm. We got a real problem. Mm. Did I tell you about that story about when my son lied? It feels like you did. 
my wife asked my son to take the dog for a walk. I will. I I think I had gotten home or something like this, and so my son was probably like thirteen, no, maybe fourteen, because my dog's four. yeah. So he was like fourteen years old. My my wife asked me to take the dog for a walk. I'm not home. I get home. My wife comes home. Did you t- did you take the dog for a walk? My son said yes, and my wife like walks over to the counter, and his leash and collar are in the exact same spot. And she says to him again, did you, t- are you sure you took him? Cause my wife's nice. Are you sure you took him for a walk? <laughs> she's, she's nice. And now that catches my ear. Right? Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, like, and that's the one thing, you know, the kid is sort of goes on the offense verbally, mm-hmm. you know, with the response tone. Yeah. 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 Like with authority, with almost a counter accusation. Yeah. yeah. Like you're accusing me. Yeah. And then my wife goes, his leash and collar in the exact same spot. And then I stand up (laughs) and I walk over and I look at it. And I think it had been in the same spot as when I left. Mm -hmm. And I looked at my son and I said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell me the truth right now. And I hope you make the right choice. And he could tell. <laughs> I go, did you take that dog for a walk? And he said, I did not. And I said, okay. Well, you lied to your mom. Mm. And there has to be consequences to that. Go get your workout clothes off. <laughs> Wait, here's the funny part. So the funny part of the story, so I'm up there like hammering him. You know, he's doing squat jumps and burpees and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling him, hey, you know, you uh, trust is the most important thing, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then I said to him, and now he's in the hurt lock. We've been going, he's been doing burpees and jump squats and pull-ups for, for a long time. He's, a, he's been at muscle failure for a while, right? <laughs> Where you're just trying to figure out, think of unique exercises because yeah, yeah. his legs are shot, his abs are shot, his yeah. arms are shot. And so we're doing some random you know, exercise. And I, 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 I'm, I'm like, hey, do you think, uh, I said, do you think that, do you think that Seth and Leif, because he knows Seth and Leif, I go, do you think those guys did everything perfect all the time? And he goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I like broke character and started laughing. Yeah. Right? And I started laughing. I'm like, no, no, they didn't do anything right all the time. They didn't do everything right all the time. They made mistakes. Do you think they ever lied to me? And he's like, no. And I go, that's right. They didn't lie to me because I trusted them. And when you lie to people, you break their trust. Mm-hmm. So. That's a little tactical. What you might think is a tactical mistake, because yeah. just lying about something that's little, something that doesn't really matter, yeah. but that's a tactical mistake that's going to have strategic impact. So, with your reputation, if there's something that could damage your reputation as a person, your relationships as a person with other people, don't don't cut corners on that stuff. Yeah. It's not going to turn out good. Yeah. Yeah, especially those ones that like, because it's not like straight math, right? Like, a, I don't know, like a batting average or something. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. Where, especially like with lying or dishonesty, because it's not like someone, the average person just rolls around lying. Either he's a 100% liar or a 100% not right, liar, right, right. you know, and then they average. It's kind of like, okay, if they lie, cheat, whatever, it's like, oh, they're open to lying and cheating. So you just never know yep. when that's going to yep. come out. So yep. now their, represa- their, their reputation is this bigger picture where it's like, yeah, they can do good work, but they got 
Yeah, it's a it's a bad that trust is so important, man. And that that's messed not messed. It's messed up, but it's so the lying thing or cheating, whatever. Mm That one's so hard to get back because for that very reason too, where it's like you're not lying every day, so it's not. Hey, you prove that you're you will you're down for the lying capable. scenario. Yeah, yeah, you're capable. You're lying so, capable. Yeah, so you can go years without ever lying, cheating, whatever. It's but the nature of lying itself, it's kind of like you just never know when. Now you know, might just come up later. Mm. Be careful. Be careful with that one. Don't okay. do it. Yeah. All right, let's get some questions. Question. Why you gotta freaking give me shit about not working hard? I'm, I'm a hard funny, worker. <laughs> funny. All right, first question. Hey guys, two-year non-competitor blue belt here, jujitsu. By the way, from my understanding, the old-school way of learning jujitsu was primarily based around privates, meaning private lessons, and this has obviously changed. Can we talk a bit about private lessons? How they how they may fit best into a practitioner's journey to black belt? Thanks. Were you ever of the impression that the old school form of learning jiu-jitsu was primarily based around privates? No. I've never had that impression. I'm not sure where that impression came from. So private lessons actually, in most people's, in my opinion, most people, private lessons are not part of a jiu-jitsu practitioner's road to black belt, in my opinion. Mm. A private lesson is something that only a small 10% of people Engage in private lessons, something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So most people don't take private lessons. I, in my jujitsu career of 30 years, have probably taken maybe, have you ever taken a private lesson? Yes. I think I've taken maybe 10, maybe 10. Yeah, why did you take private private lessons, or how? Like, what is the scenario? Because there's different scenarios. I, I think I took a couple privates in the beginning with Fabio, mm. and I think that's it, man. I yeah. don't think I ever took another private lesson again. Yeah, so I, I'm down for the private lesson, or but like how you said, that's not the normal. Like, private is like a little boost. It's like mm. anything, right? Like, even like if you play football or something, and then you're like, let me for the summer, let me hire a running coach or, yeah. or a football cat. You know, it's good it's like for that. sure. It's, it's gonna yeah. help your game. Jiu-jitsu oh, yeah. private's gonna help your game, yeah. but it's not. It's not. No, it's not a. It's not a mandatory for sure, yeah. and it's not even really actually normal. I would agree with that. I would, yes. It's not actually normal. Yeah. So how can they fit in there? I would say this, actually. If I would say taking privates in the early stages is probably not as beneficial as when you're a little bit better and you got some hole in your game and you go, oh, this guy keeps passing my guard or I, ke- mm-hmm. I keep losing this position. And you might want to take a private on some specific. Now, you could also just ask the coach in class. Coaches are going to tell you the answer in class. But if you want to go a little bit deeper, maybe get a little bit more more expanded knowledge about a certain position than you could do it. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's my opinion on privates. I think... You know who takes privates? Really, really rich people yeah. that don't wanna, you know, like they don't wanna mess around with a bunch of people. They don't wanna have be rolling with idiots. Yeah. They don't wanna have people bother them. They just wanna learn. Oh, they also don't want to do a warm up. They don't want to do drills. They just want to learn something. They yeah. don't want to drill with other. Like they, they got these reasons, and they got money, and yeah. they got time. Yeah. So they're going to take privates. Yeah. Those are the most. Pe- I, there's some people that have 
spent their career like that. Yeah, celebrity types too. Yeah, by the yeah, way, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And but there's little added element for celebrity types because they're like the the real fame, like the a famous actor or something mm-hmm. like that. Because okay, there's a few different elements. So the nature of it is, let's say I'm I don't know Ashton Kutcher or something like obviously a list dude who does jujitsu, mm-hmm. right? So what if I'm an everyday person and I go into a jujitsu class and I see all the potential people I can train with. And I see Ashton Kutcher there. Do you think I'm going to want to train with Ashton Kutcher? I'm not sure. Apparently you are. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. You want to train with Ashton Kutcher. You want to post on the Instagram. Mm. You want to tell your friends. Yeah, I train with Ashton Kutcher. That's a famous dude. You know, whatever. And maybe not everyone, but I think most people, that's probably how. So Mm. now think of it from Ashton Kutcher's perspective. Now I got to go into class. Everyone's trying to freaking train with me. Mm. And it's not even that deep for me. And by the way, they all want to tap me out. Exactly right. Oh, yeah. And that's the other element. And that's a big deal, too. Now you got people going super hard. Mm. And not everyone has the same experience. So some guys, like, yeah, your risk of injury goes way up now. And now with that. If a celebrity t- or an actor, we'll say, gets injured or a drummer gets injured in mm. jujitsu, that's those are there. The consequences are way bigger because what if you had a concert coming up yeah. that, you know, you're getting paid a million dollars to fulfill your obligation to this concert or whatever, but you can't drum because your shoulders sprained or whatever. Yeah. Because you did it in jujitsu, it's a big deal. Same thing with actors. I was reading about somebody told maybe maybe we talked about this. There's football players that have contracts; they're not allowed to do other sports. Yep, that makes sense. Fully. You're not allowed to do jujitsu. Yeah, no, no, it's not. No, you can't do jujitsu. Well, it's true. I mean, because so, you know you hear this like in in college, right? Where summertime or whatever, and you go play basketball, or whatever, mm. and you turn your ankle in mm. basketball, and then you can't go to fall camp. You know how mad people are, especially if you're a starter or something like that? For imagine if you're in the NFL and you're the quarterback or something like this. That's got to be sketchy when you're in the college football, college basketball, and it's one of those sports where the path is going to the pros, and you never you get injured and you never make it. You never get that paycheck. You know, If you get injured in the NFL... You're kind of good to go, right? If you, right? If you get injured country. in the NBA, you're kind of good to go. Maybe you're not set for life or anything, but mm-hmm. you might be close. Mm-hmm. If you signed a big contract and you yeah. didn't spend your money in a in a haphazard way, mm-hmm. you could kind of set yourself up for life. But you blow out your knee in your senior year, your junior year. Mm-hmm. That's a, a bummer. Oh, so yeah. to your point, sometimes people that are have some situation that they can't really afford to let that happen, they're going to do privates. Yes, and there's people I've recommended that too. You know, mm-hmm. I've had friends that are maybe a little bit uh, higher profile been like, hey, listen, dude, you don't want to roll into class with a bunch of freaking knuckleheads to go, go take privates. Yeah. You won't get hurt. You, yeah. At least your chance of getting hurt is minuscule yeah. compared to jumping into the freaking shark tank. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially if they want some of that. You can get and it might come off a little arrogant if you're like not like an A-list type person, but... If you take privates and maybe communicate with your instructor, be like, hey, I would love to just roll with people, you know, like just different body types or whatever, man. Can we get a group together that we trust, you know, that it's not it's not that big a deal, you know, to them or whatever, and kind of get a little training group together? I mean, that can be beneficial. Could do that too. You know, but I think actually I think privates are, are maybe more beneficial than you do in the beginning. Yeah. And and in the experience. Yeah. You're right. I, 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 I won't, I'm not going to like hold fast to that statement. I, I just think that there's your, your, your brain is so empty in the beginning that mm-hmm. it's hard to get something focused enough that you're going to pay extra money for to get this little bit of focus. 
you know, maybe if you're at a school where they don't have some sort of beginner's program where oh, you yeah. kind of learn the basics and there's the fundamentals, if you don't really have that, maybe a private would be good to learn that stuff. Maybe you could get that stuff off of YouTube. Yeah, you know? true. I like the, oh, so I remember Brent a long time ago, mm-hmm. freaking, so he, one, when I first started jujitsu, um, he was, he, you weren't really around that much. I hardly ever, I saw you like once, but anyway. It was uh, Dean and Brent. So one time Brent came in with to the club that I worked at, and he had a bunch of people, some wedding, something like this. And he was like, so I just let them all in or whatever because it's Brent, the instructor. So he was like, hey, I'll give you a half an hour private. If you come early to class, 30 minutes early, I'll give you a private every single time you come. Mm. So I'm like, cool. And I could only train two days a week because at that time I could only train daytime because I worked at night. So the only day classes down in Chula Vista, down where Dean's place used to be, was only Tuesday and Thursday. So I could only train twice a week. Mm-hmm. But I went to compete. I went to do all this stuff. But I had that 30-minute private before every class. Bro, it helped so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much. Yeah. And that's a different that, – yeah. So, like, I, in that context, for sure. In the context, I'm going to take one private as a white belt, probably not that beneficial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking it's true. Taking as many privates as you are classes, that's Every gonna day. be that's gonna be very <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. True. So cool, bunch of different ways to use privates. Certainly can boost your skill a little bit, um, but not totally necessary. If you can afford them, might as well get some. If you can't, don't worry about it. Watch some more YouTube, ask good questions during class, you'll be good to go. True. Next question. Good morning. My question is regarding undertaking new business ventures. Your podcast and advice has improved my life exponentially. I'm currently working full-time pursuing my master's degree, training jiu-jitsu five times a week, and learning a second language by using your philosophy of making time. My wife is also on the path, and she's equally as busy. We have created our exit strategy. We're interested in leaving our current position in the next one to two years and working for ourselves. What advice would you give for someone trying to venture into an industry they're unfamiliar with, and where would you where would be a good starting place? Uh, so broadly speaking, let's say, you know, depending on what that specific industry is, there's a bunch of different ways you go about it depending on what it is. So if you were going to go into commercial fishing, there'd be a certain approach for that. If you were going to go into textile manufacturing, there'd be an approach for that. What I would do, even with both those examples. I might start looking at a side gig that starts to introduce me into the business where I can start to learn about it in a relatively benign way without with very little risk. So, you know, you want to you want to get into commercial fishing? Okay, cool. Get a side gig where you help do maintenance on the weekends on commercial fishing boats. Mm. Or get a side gig where when, you know, two times a week in the evenings, you go down and you help offload the fishing boats or get a side gig where when the, the they need extra deckhands, you can go out and work on the fishing boat so you can start to learn about it. So those are some examples of how you might start to figure out what this what this industry is like. Um, so that I, that's what I would do. I would learn about the business by starting to engage in it in some way. Then as time goes on, first of all, I learn more. Second of all, I now assess whether I really want to be a part of that business or not. Mm-hmm. And third, I still have a safety net as, you know, with my regular job that I already have that I can start to learn and figure things out while I am still covered and still have job security. So that's what I would start with. Now, as time went on, 
what I would do is I would start to expand the role of my side gig and get it to a point where I had that becomes a part-time job where now I have to talk to my boss at my current job and say I'm going to need a little bit of time off or maybe you don't do that yet but you start working where now you're working actually kind of two jobs mm-hmm. so you got two jobs going you start bringing in income on the side gig job it starts to become your primary job and you you then move into there what's nice about what you've got going on with you and your wife your Maybe one of you ends up completely leaving the job for the new gig while the other one stays with the security job. Mm. And we continue to build that until we have not just an exit strategy, but a secure, sound, steady income stream that's going to help us, that, that, that we can transfer to without, without barely any risk whatsoever. Uh, these are just little, what I'm talking about overall broadly, iterative steps. Iterative steps, start small, learn, part-time jobs, side hustle, side gig, don't invest a bunch of money into it, and then as you figure it out, then you can start to move in the direction slowly to exit your old jobs. That one to two years makes sense. In one to two years, it should take you a year to figure it out and another year to start the transition. So that actually is a good, I like that timeline. You should be able to do that safely and securely with minimum risk good luck man it's awesome next question thanks in advance for any insight i currently work in a very specialized niche of the tv post-production industry i'm good at what i do maybe to a fault for years i've been attempting to progress into a different position which is final colorist but i fear i'm stuck at where i'm at due to the fact that i'm very good at what I do and finding my replacement is close to impossible for the past few years I've worked extra hours to learn the new position taken classes and worked freelance jobs on my own time and have proved that I'm capable in the new position but my boss refuses to move me because it would be a bad move for the company how do I communicate that I need to move into the new position or I'll find work at a different company doing what I prefer to do thanks for your help okay so the first thing I would do is I would start talking to my leadership about getting someone on board that I can train as a replacement. So you're trying to find a replacement cold, that's very difficult to do. But if you say, hey, listen, can I bring a person that just got out of film school or what other school would you go to? Photography school or someone that's just interested in the industry and you say, hey, can I bring on someone that I can start to train to take my job over? Oh, well, why do you want to do that? Oh, it's because I really want to progress to to progress to a final colors. That's what I really want to do. I really like that work, but I want to make sure that I've covered the bases that we got someone that's just as capable as me to, to take my place. Boom. So you've, you've, you've started to work that angle earnestly. Now, what's hard about that is this is an investment from your leadership, because they've got to hire someone, right? And so they might think, well, I don't want to pay someone else and have two people doing the same job. Mm -hmm. So you've got to figure out and structure a deal where, you know, maybe you do some additional work to help the the final colorist. You become kind of an assistant to them, and meanwhile, Mm -hmm. you make this other person your assistant. So now the final colorist can get more done and be more efficient, and maybe they don't need extra help or whatever. So you got to structure a deal that makes sense. Mm You gotta structure a deal that makes sense that you can actually bring on a low wage, because this person doesn't have any experience. They're gonna learn from you. A low wage person as a as a, a learner 
that's gonna learn how to do the dailies with you. So once you get that done, you gotta structure a good deal, hopefully you can get that done. Now, if that doesn't work, if there's no movement, if there's no possibility, then you might even mention, actually hold off on that. Then you start looking, okay, what other jobs are out there? Do I have some actual opportunity? Do I have, are those jobs hard to get? Do I have the qualifications? Do I have the experience to, to be able to go and get hired as a final colorist? Because you might not be able to do that. You might not have the prerequisites to get that job. Some jobs are like, hey, please apply here if you have five years experience. That actually happens sometimes. So do you have the resume? Do you have the qualifications? Do you have the experience to, to move? And then maybe you go back to your boss once you realize, oh yeah, there's some opportunities, here's some job opportunities that are out there. Then you can say, hey, listen, I'd really, really like to explore bringing someone on as an apprentice because if I can't get an apprentice and I can't find a way for some upward mobility for myself, then I might actually have to go look for somewhere else. And and you're not gonna say that if you don't know that you can actually go look somewhere else. Because otherwise they'll go, hey, there's no other jobs, good luck, dude. Mm-hmm. We don't want that. So do some research, find out what opportunities are actually out there. Once we find the opportunities are really out there, then we can also start to escalate, hey listen, I really want some upward mobility. This is my goal. Can we please do something about that? Can we find a plan for my, can we structure some kind of upward mobility? Can I come up with some kind of a job title that allows me to do a little bit of both? And they still don't move for you. Well, then it might turn into, listen, I wanna let you know, I'm gonna start putting my resume out there. I wanna, and and so then you're gonna be upfront with them and say, you know, look, I I really wanna do this. And then when they say, well, fine, you go ahead and do that. Yeah, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. So you don't want them to say, fine, go and do that. And you go, or they say, oh, you're fired. And you go, yeah. <laughs> and you hadn't done your research. No. Yeah. So set yourself up for success. Do the research. Understand what you're getting into. Know the battlefield that you're going to go walk onto before you go and, you know, make ultimatums or before you bring it up the chain of command that you're thinking about leaving. You might have the best deal in the world and you just, yeah. or not. You might have a really, really good deal. Yeah. Make sure you're not shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, that's true. Like I, I like the idea anyway of maybe comparing it to like a a football team, mm-hmm. right? Where because football team, I always like ever since you've been talking, whenever that started, the you, you know you, you know the team. I've been talking you know, for a while. This is when you yes, started sir. listening. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, a football. I've always thought that football team is such a good. Like it's the best com- one of the best comparisons. A football team, like a SEAL team, is true mm-hmm. as well. But football team is like one of those ones where most of the time, if one guy doesn't do his job, it, the possibility of it affecting the whole team, the whole play, like in a, cata- a, a catastrophic way, is high. It's very high. It's, so it's like one of those deals, deals where all eleven guys have to do their job, have to. And sure, there's some comfort move kind of going on or whatever for sure. Depends on the play. But so I've always kind of liked looking at like that so in this case right where like the company is kind of the team right and this guy's playing i don't know wide receiver and he wants to go play running back essentially which is cool but when you move from running back bro you're a good you're a good wide receiver out there so who's going to play wide receiver like that's a big part of our offense you know 
hey, if you know, like just like how you said, man, if you can train that second string guy to do yeah. the, at least the job that you could do or close, yeah. man, sure you can. And you've shown that you can play running back too. But we don't need a running back as mm-hmm. much as we still need that wide receiver. See what I'm saying? So yes, if 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 that guy under him, the second stringer, or whatever, can come up, step up, if you can get him up to speed, oh yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll run you a few plays at running back for there sure. You but you can't just say, "Hey, I don't like my position anymore. I want to go running play running back." I can't just do that. There's more to it than that. You're on the team, you know. Yeah. No, it doesn't mean you're what you want out of this. Your personal like career doesn't mean anything. It's freaking actually. That's the whole reason you're there because you love playing football. But the team comes first. The t- you are on a team, sir, mm-hmm. and. Keep that in mind when you start making these moves. You see what I'm saying? Indeed, indeed. We got next question. Next question. The company I work for has recently merged with another company, which so far consists of about 10 people. A few of the newcomers are not enthusiastic about this decision and make this very clear, which makes it difficult to welcome them as full members of the team, which in turn is also felt by my team members and perhaps unconsciously reflects this attitude. Sooner or later, I suspect some people will leave anyway. But until then, we have to learn to work together. I try to lead by example, but I have the feeling that I'm not getting anywhere because both parties seem to be very stubborn. Do you have any similar experiences that could help me? Thank you for the time. Okay, so we want to start building relationships with this other team. What does that mean? That means we have to listen, respect, trust, and influence. That we didn't listen to what they have to say. We have to treat them with respect. We have to give them some kind of trust so that they can start to trust us. And we have to allow them to influence us in order for us to influence them. So that's a lot to ask of your current team, right? Because we as human beings, unfortunately, have a closed mind. And we don't want to listen. We don't want to allow other people to influence us. We, want, we think the way we do everything is great. So... You have to kind of take lead on this. You have to be the one that finds the common ground. You have to be the one that puts your ego in check. You need to be the one that builds the bridge with your own team to say, hey, I looked at the way the new team does this and it's actually pretty good. Or, hey, I think the way they do things complements what we do. And I think we could utilize this one thing that they do better and it would make us all better. So all those little nice indirect methods that you need to use to build the relationships, to listen to what the other team has to say, to get your team to listen a little bit what, what the other team has to say, to build this relationship across the board. That's, that's our primary mechanism. Now, that is not easy what I just said. It is not easy what I just said. So here's a pragmatic way to sort of, to sort of tactfully and, and both tactfully but also strategically try and make this happen. So you know the term uh, divide, and, divide and conquer? Yes, sir. Which means I split, the two, I split this team into two mm-hmm. and then I can conquer them, these two smaller groups. Mm-hmm. We can, so you, that's where you're at right now. That's where you're at right now. You're divided, which means you can be conquered, which means you're not working great together as a team. So we can use divide and conquer not as a methodology to destroy, but as a methodology to build. What it allows us to do is it allows us to take certain roles and responsibilities and divide those up to keep the teams relatively separated as we begin to work through our relationship building drills. So it, what it does is it, it, it takes the two teams 
We divide and conquer. We divide up what our roles and responsibilities are. There's probably some things that are inherently one team does well and the other team doesn't do as well, or maybe it's a res- where they came from. This was the type of client they worked with, and the other. So we we figure out a way to equitably assign some roles or take on projects. Hey, there's another good. We just divide up the projects. Hey, Echo, your team. Your team's going to handle this client with this project. Bill, your team's going to handle this client with this project. So now you're allowed to work a little bit independently. We're not trying to force everyone together. But as you work with your team, Echo, and Bill, you work with your team, now I start looking for, hey, Echo, Bill just did this, and it'd be a good, uh, it'd be a good you know, outline for what you're doing on this part of the project. You know, I'll take a look at it. So you see where I'm going with this. We start to find common ground. I start to look for places where I can where I can bridge the gap between the two teams. I'm going to, while I'm doing this, I'm gonna explain what is happening. I'm gonna explain that both teams have good ideas. I'm gonna try and, wherever I can, merge these things together. So over time, <laughs> You know, you go you, back in the day. You went to twenty-four hour fitness. Sure, like you see a guy in the gym, mm-hmm. right? What do you say to him the first time you ever see him? What do you say to him? Well, depends, but I don't know. Hi. Okay. What up? Best case scenario, you say hi. I'm not saying anything to that person the first time in, in the gym, and I see someone in there. Oh yeah. I don't know him. Yeah. Why am I going to talk to him? Sure. Now I see. You know, a week later, I see him again. Three days later, I see him again. Mm-hmm. Four days later, I see yeah, him again. Yeah. Six days later, I see him again. Then I see him every day, again, again, again. So eventually I go, hey man, what's up? <laughs> right? Sure, hell yeah. And, and over time, as we become more familiar, we become less standoffish, yeah. and maybe he's like, hey bro, can I get a spot on this? Hell yeah. You know? <laughs> bench. <laughs> so there you go. So at, that's the same thing that happens when you put human beings together can you have an adverse you know, reaction and organ rejection from somebody? Yes, you can, but you're all in the same industry. You're all now literally working at the same company. You all have some kind of similar background, right? These are facts. Like if you're in the gym and I in the gym, I know we're both in the gym. I know that we both like to lift, right? <laughs> That's a good analogy, bro. Hey, okay, yeah. jujitsu, yeah. same thing, right? You're on the jujitsu mat, I don't know you. You show up, I'm not talking to you. We might may or may not roll, yeah. but over time, you're in the jujitsu gym, I'm in the jujitsu gym, you're on the mats, I'm on the mats, you're wearing a gi, I'm wearing a gi, it's an origin mm-hmm. gi. Of course, <laughs> you, you know, know it. Like we know yeah. that we're kind of down. Yeah. So we can get people together and get them to become familiar with each other. And we do it in a, in a scenario that's non-threatening. Yeah. So that's what, the, that's what the divide and conquer does. It takes some of the level of threat and increases over time the level of familiarity so that we end up with a moment where we start to bridge the gap, we start to find common ground, and we can move forward. A little note I had on this is, don't focus on the differences in the problems. I'm not saying you ignore them. Yeah. But there's a saying uh, when you when you drive a car. When you drive a car in either offensive or defensive methodology. Oh yeah, like offensive defensive driver. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a saying and like I've been to these courses. What you look at mm-hmm. is where you're going to steer. 
So when you're coming around a corner, if you look, if you see an obstacle and you start looking at that obstacle, you're going to hit it. Mm. If you're driving down the road and, and there's another car that's sort of maneuvering in a way where you think you might hit it mm. and you look at it and you stare at it, you're going to hit it. Mm. So you start to steer towards what you're looking at. Mm. The same thing when you get into a leadership dynamic. Mm. If you start to focus on the problems, that's what it, you're going to see. That's what everyone's going to see. Mm. So. And look, I'm not saying you ignore them because there's some, certain times where things need to be addressed. But if you if they're not glaring problems, don't focus on them. Don't stare at them. But when you're turning that corner, if the problem is a problem that you are going to hit, well, then you got to deal with it. Mm. But if it's a problem that's over there on the side of the road a little bit, it's or it's it's in the it's in the 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 alleyway a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's by the curb. You can avoid that pretty easily. Just don't stare at it, don't focus on it. Mm-hmm. So do the same thing here. There you go. So essentially like the there's a big building relationships part. This is all there. building relationships. So it's it's all, but it's building relationships, but it's setting up an environment where the relationship can be built. Yeah. And not forcing forcing people into a situation where you know it's like hey, if you and I both have to cook dinner, Mm-hmm. Should we try and cook it at the same time? No, probably not. Mm-hmm. Right? Probably not. We, it's so funny when you go out in public, and you know you you know you pull into the gas station, and I pull into the gas station at the same time, mm-hmm. and there's one pump open. Mm-hmm. Right? It, that's not gonna. That's not a good environment for us to create a friendship. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Yeah. It's not a good. It, well, it, hey, if you're if. I'm cool and I'm not in a rush. Hey, whatever. I might wave you in there. Hey, go ahead, man. You look like you're in a rush, bro. Yeah. Cool. We maybe, but if I'm in a rush, you're in a rush. This is not a good relationship. This is not a good good environment to form a relationship. Yeah. But if I'm overall in charge, and I want us to form a relationship, guess what I do? I say, Hey, Echo, you come at five to fill up your car. Hey, Jocko, you come at five ten. Yeah. And then what? What I do? I see you. Yeah. I see you. We have no interference, but I see you. I see you the next day. I see you the next day. Now we start to know each other. We get the head nod. We get the salutation. Eventually, we end up having a conversation. We're good. Put your people into an environment that promotes continuity, that promotes relationship building. Mm. Don't put them into adverse environments Mm. that are going to cause issues. That gym analogy Mm -hmm. the gym torn person spot on Mm -hmm. because it's true right and you especially because the gym just by its nature is like hey look we all know why we're here Mm -hmm. like we're here we have essentially the same goal like me and you you know but you being here in a in a short-term way is kind of in my way right you know like i don't really yeah yeah you know especially if you're on the squat rack you know exactly right or just there look i would love to go in the gym when it's just me nobody Mm -hmm. there except for the front desk person that's 24 fitness mm-hmm. situation, of course. You know, you get one guy, two guys. If you, you get a crowded gym, you how can you logically be mad at everyone? You can't because they're there just like you yeah. are. But right? you kind of are a little bit. Yes, you are. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But you are. You'd rather them not, not be there. Conducive. That's exactly. the word I was looking for. Exactly conducive right. Conducive to relationship building. Exactly right. But if you start reaching your hand across the aisle, like fight that, that natural annoyance or whatever and be like, hey, just like how you said, say hi to a guy. Or give him a compliment mm. or whatever, you know? And then the guy's like, hey, wait, I don't 
I'm kind of annoyed everyone else is here, but that guy's cool. So, in fact, we might live together one day. See what I'm saying? There and go. there, and from and around you go. But a lot of times, it does take that first interaction. So, anyone who's who's regulared a gym like that, where they could probably understand or would agree with that notion, where unless you're a super outgoing person, it's like, man, you just kind of want to mind your own business, get your workout on, you and maybe your partner, whatever. And if you see people there consistently. It is like if you finally just say, hey, hi, and give them a compliment, man, you, you'd be surprised how, like, forward the relationship gets yeah. just from that one first, like, you taking that action, you know? Have you ever seen the movie or read the book Rumblefish? Mm. So it's, it's a story about gangs, but it's like 1950s <laughs> sure. gangs, right? Of course. But the, the theory is in this movie, there's these fish called rumblefish. Yeah. And if you put the rumblefish in the same bowl, they kill each other, mm. or they, one of them will kill the other one. Mm. And this, I forget the exact plot, but, but basically at the end of the story, the kid takes the rumblefish, and instead of putting him in a bowl, he puts him in a lake. Mm. And they swim away from each other. Because mm. they can get along, but they've just been confined. Right. So it's the same thing with a human. Mm. If you put them into a pressure situation against their will, it's not conducive to relationship building. So you as a leader need to give them some space. Yeah. So that they can build, so that they can not feel the pressure, and they can open up their mind to build some relationships. So there you go. Boom. There you go. <clears throat> we got time for one more. What yes, do you sir. Got? Hi, Jocko Echo from Essex, England. Represent. Hey, up. I'm an avid listener of your underground podcast, and I can honestly say I have learned huge amounts from your content, and am forever grateful. Thank you. I've got off to a successful first year as a joint owner of brick of a brickwork construction firm. Legit. I've used what I've learned from your podcast to improve my leadership and man management. And so far, I have honed these skills well and put some of your advice to practice. However, I'm 26 year, years old and most people I employ have twice my experience in the game, as well as my clients chain of command also have more experience and knowledge than me. How can I hold my own in certain situations when my ex- experience and knowledge can only take me so far at, cert- at certain points? Thank yep. You. Okay, so just FYI, good job. Great job. Glad you're making progress. Sounds like you got some stuff going on. That's outstanding to hear. By the way, the situation that you're in is the situation that people end up in all the time where you're working with people that have more experience, but you're, the, you're in charge. You're the owner. You're the whatever. You're the... You're the, you have positional authority over people. It's all good. This is what happens. Um, I, you should go and get a book called Leadership Strategy and Tactics that I wrote. And it's got so much information that is going to be useful in there. For example, on page 157 and 158, which I'm going to break out the book right now because, because I answer this question all the time. And eventually I realized, hey, I should just write this down so I can... So, so I can just give people a kind of concise version of this. So, uh, and again, get the book. I'm gonna hit the high, lo- high level right now because there's a section here, how to succeed as a new leader. And I got 12 rules. Now, this is the interesting thing. When I wrote this, I wrote it for how to succeed as a new leader. This is actually just how to succeed as a leader. It doesn't matter if you're more experienced, less experienced. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're older or younger. It doesn't matter if you're male, 
leading females or female leading male or old leading young or young leading old, it doesn't matter. The principles of leadership do not change. They really don't change on how you should treat other people and how you should treat other people when you're, quote, in charge of them. So here's a couple things. Be humble. That's number one, by the way. Number one, be humble. This might sound weird to you because you're like, I got to show them that I'm in charge. No. Be humble. It's an honor to be in a leadership position. Your team is counting on you to make the right decisions. Don't Number two, don't act like you know everything. You don't. And they know that, by the way. They know that you don't know everything. So you don't have to act like it. The guy's been laying brick for 32 years. You're not going to help him on how to handle that trowel. Right? You don't, you can't help him. In fact, he can help you. You don't know everything. He knows that. Don't try and fool him. Ask smart questions. What does that mean? That means don't ask questions that you should have, you should be able to research and figure out the answer to. So, so put the time and effort into educating yourself so you're not asking stupid questions that you should know with a little time and effort. This, but ask smart questions. That you should absolutely do. Um, When you ask questions, listen to people. Listen for advice. Ask for advice. How do you think we should do this? You know, Fred, that you've been doing this for 29 years. How do you think we should handle this job? What would be the best way to go about this? Their respect for you will not go down. It will go up. Treat people with respect. Regardless of rank, everyone is a human being and plays an important role in the team. Treat them that way. Take care of your people and they'll take care of you. Number five, take ownership of mistakes and failures, which you will have. You will make mistakes. You will have failures. When that happens, own it. And by the way, even when Fred orders too few bricks to complete the job and it's going to take an extra day, instead of blaming him, when you're in charge, you don't. You say, hey, you know what, Fred? I should have done a better review of how many bricks you ordered. That's on me. Next time, I'll make sure I at least glance over what you've ordered and compare to how big the job is, and that way we won't be short on bricks. Own it. Pass credit for success up and down the chain of command. For you, since you're in charge, it's just all down. You give the credit to everybody else. Work hard as the leader. You should be working harder than anyone else on the team. No job is beneath you. Nothing worse than a boss that's leaving before the employees. Have integrity. Do what you say. Say what you do. Don't lie up or down the chain of command. We clearly have hit the impact of trust. If you're lying to your people, they will 100% know you're lying. 100% they will know that you're lying. Don't lie. Have integrity. Number nine, be balanced. Extreme actions and opinions are usually not good. They're almost always not good. Don't lose your temper. Don't freak out about things. Remain calm. Be balanced. Number ten. Be decisive. When it's time to make a decision, decisive. When it's time to make a decision, make one. And by the way, when you get done reading that little word there, go and find the section of this book called iterative decision making, which means you make small decisions quickly. You don't have to make big giant decisions. You don't have to do that. Build relationships. That's number 11. That's your main goal as a leader. Your main goal as a leader is not to bring business in. Your main goal as a leader is not to 
to help lay bricks. Your main goal as a leader is not to design the walls that you're gonna be building. Your main goal as a leader is to build relationships. Build relationships with your team. Build relationships with your team because if you have team relationships, that's what makes your organization work well. And lastly, get the job done. Get the job done. Get the team what they need to do the job. Get the, get the, the projects that you've got for your, for your business, get those things done. Accomplish the mission. That's what you've got to do. So, so there you go. That's what it is. Um, these things don't change. And by the way, here, just for one example, if in this case you're less experienced than your workers, when you say, hey, how do you think we should do this? Their respect for you goes up. And if the tables were turned and you were working for one of these old timers that had all this experience and they said, hey, hey, Bill, I know you don't have much experience, but hey, what do you think is the best way to do this job? Your respect for them would go up. It works no matter what. Treating people with respect, listening to their opinions, having an open mind, that is how you lead. And yes, it all starts with humility. If you lack confidence, by the way, if you lack confidence and you don't think you really deserve to be there and you're worried about that, what you're going to do is you're going to overcorrect and you're going to be arrogant. You're going to act like you know what you're doing and everyone's going to see right through it and they're not going to like you. They're not going to respect you and therefore they're not going to listen to you and you won't be successful. So you've got yourself into this great spot. You're 26 years old. You got yourself in a great spot. How'd you do that? Because you, you got some skills. Don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. But have some confidence that you're doing it. You're doing it. You know how to do this. And you're confident enough to say, hey, you know what? I don't know how to do this. Somebody tell me how to. Hey, hey, Fred, I've never done this type of building before. Can you help me with this? There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing it. And in fact, it is required as a leader. With that, thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting the cause. Thanks for all the great feedback, all the great questions. Um, if you need anything from me, well, if you need supplements, you can get Jocko Fuel. If you need gear, you can go to jockostore.com. You can go to originusa.com. If you want some, if you want us to help you with your business, go to echelonfront.com. If you want to talk to us on the interwebs, you can go to Echo at Echo Charles. Get me at Jocko Willink. But you all know all that. That's why you're here. That's why you're with us. That's why we're here together in the underground and we appreciate the support and we appreciate the knowledge and we appreciate the effort that you all are making to make your lives better and thereby make the world better. We appreciate it. We'll see you next time down here in the underground. This is Echo and Jocko out.